Thank you, brother. Good evening to you. One of my favorite things to do is ride motorcycles. Um, I had a bike until about, I guess, five or six years ago and uh, sold it. And I still enjoy riding, but it's just hard to ride without a motorcycle. So I don't get to do a whole lot of it anymore. Um, that's something that me and my dad did together. He had a bike and I did too. And so we went on a lot of trips all over the place. We went to the Smoky Mountains several times. One trip in particular that I loved was a trip to uh, Deals Gap. I don't know if any of you have ever heard of Deals Gap. It's also called the Dragon Tail. And uh, I think there's about, y'all can correct me if I'm wrong, but I think it's 318 curves and about a seven-mile stretch of roadway. And so for a guy who likes to ride motorcycles, and if you are one, you know what I'm talking about, that's a fun trip. And that was kind of the highlight of the whole thing. We had three days that we were going to, go up and do this in. We were going to ride up the first day, and then the second day was going to um, ride the Dragon's Tail and, and everything in Pigeon Forge and Gatlinburg and in that area, and then the third day was going to come home. So we left here from Hamilton uh, at about 5.30, 6 o'clock on a Friday morning, and we went all the way east on 278 as, as far as we could go uh, into the state of Georgia. And then when we got into Georgia, we turned north and went through the mountains of Georgia all the way to Chattanooga. And man, you're talking about some pretty country. We really enjoyed that. Then when we got in Chattanooga, we stopped at Choo Choo's Barbecue. I don't know if you've ever heard of Choo Choo's Barbecue in Chattanooga, Tennessee, but they've got some of the best ribs you ever put in your mouth. I mean, they are fantastic. And I don't claim to know about anything much except ribs. I'm a rib connoisseur. If you want to know good rib places, you need to talk to me. I'll travel to eat ribs. My favorite ribs of all time is Corky's Ribs and Barbecue in Memphis, Tennessee. It's fantastic. The old one on Germantown Road is probably the best ribs I've ever put in my mouth. Number two is really a toss-up. It's either between the Chevron at the bottom of Russellville Mountain. I know that sounds weird. Gas station ribs, but I promise you, the Chevron at the foot of Russell Mountain is right up there with Corky's. It really is fantastic. Um, number two is between the Chevron and Dreamland in Tuscaloosa, the old Dreamland. Not the one in Northport, but or close to Northport, but the old Dreamland barbecue, if you know what I'm talking about. And then number four is probably Choo Choo's barbecue. I love that. Fantastic ribs. So we got our ribs, had a great time there. Left from Chattanooga, headed north on I-75. Took a ride at Cleveland, Tennessee. Now, that's the road that goes right down by the Ocoee River. So the most pretty, the prettiest country you'll ever see in your life. We rode all the way to Bryson City, North Carolina, and there's not much in Bryson City, North Carolina except a gas station, about two or three places to eat, and an old hotel. And we stayed in that old hotel that night. Had a great time there. Got up the next morning, went into Cherokee. Uh, went into Maggie Valley, rode through a state park in Maggie Valley, came back from Maggie Valley over the mountain into Gatlinburg, went to Klingman's Dome before we got to Gatlinburg, um, rode through uh, everything there was to see there. Then we went right on over to 129, Highway 129, which is the road that uh, the Dragon's Tail's on, spent the rest of the day there. 
Now, as most of you know, all the things that I just talked to you about was the main attractions. I mean, that's really what we went to do. And, uh, but if you're riding through the mountains, and if you have, you'll know what I'm talking about, you see several different places that will say scenic overlook this way and um, little small things that really nobody knows a whole lot about. And so I told my dad after those two days, I said, tomorrow morning, let's get up early and take our time going home and let's look at some of these scenic overlooks on the way back that we passed through. And I was surprised to find out that a lot of those places were actually better than the places we were really highlighting on the trip. I mean, they were, they were great. And so we spent all day that next day looking at those scenic overlooks, some of the little backwooded back trails that uh, nobody had really ever traveled, or I hadn't traveled before. And so you said, Russell, what's all I got to do with tonight's service? Well, we've been on a journey with the nation of Israel, the children of Israel, from the banks of Jordan on the wilderness side, now all the way through chapter 5, and we saw them conquer Jericho. And all of the things that we've talked about so, so far, it's kind of been the main attractions. We talked about how in Joshua chapter 1 that um, God told Joshua, you observe to do all that I say in my law, and I'm going to be with you just like I was with Moses. So we saw kind of the passing of the torch and what that meant for the nation of Israel and also what it means for us that we can claim what God told Joshua because God loves us just like he loved Joshua. Amen. And we're to apply that truth to our lives. And we've seen in Joshua chapter 2 the story of the prostitute Rahab. And we saw how that God can take someone from the house of shame and put them in face hall of fame. Now how do you know if God can do that for Rahab, he can do that for me. And he can do that for you. And so we saw that in Joshua chapter 2. Then in Joshua chapter 3, we saw the crossing of the Jordan River while it was at flood stage. And don't miss the miracle in that. I mean, we, we saw the miracle of God standing, uh, stacking water up on a heap and splitting that river there. But the Bible says that those three million people strong that were in the nation of Israel that time, they crossed over on dry ground. So not only did God stack up water on a heap, but he dried up the muddy uh, bottom of that riverbed so that the people didn't even get their feet muddy. Amen. <laughs> So we saw God do that for his people. And then, of course, this morning we looked at how God brought victory, uh, triumph through trusting at the walls of Jericho. Now, those are all the main attractions. We've kind of been hitting those high points, those main things. But tonight what I want to do is spend some time in the scenic overlooks on the highway to victory. And that's what we're going to entitle this message. These scenic overlooks that we've kind of read over and passed through, man, are very, very powerful. And I think we need to take a moment and look at those tonight. I've got three of them that I want to show you. The first one comes from Joshua chapter number 1. Joshua chapter 1, um, and starting in verse number 12. I'm not going to keep you long tonight. If you'll listen fast, I'll talk fast. And I'm going to be done in just a moment. So let's jump right into this. Joshua chapter 1, starting in the 12th verse. All right? Listen to what this says. And to the Reubenites, and to the Gadites, and to the tribe of Manasseh spake Joshua, saying, Remember the word which Moses, the servant of the Lord, commanded you, saying, The Lord your God hath given you rest, and hath given you this land. Your wives, your little ones, and your cattle shall remain in the land which Moses gave you on this side of Jordan, 
But you shall pass before your brethren armed, all the mighty men of valor, and help them. Now look what it says in the verse 15. Uh, Until the Lord have given your brethren rest as he hath given you. And you also have possessed the land which the Lord your God giveth them. Then you shall return into the land of your possession and enjoy it, which Moses, the Lord's servant, gave you on this side of Jordan toward the sun rising. And they answered Joshua, saying, All that thou commandest us we will do, and whatsoever thou sendest us we will go. According as we hearken unto Moses in all things, so will we also hearken to thee. Only the Lord thy God be with thee. As he was with Moses, whosoever he be that doeth not rebel against, that doeth rebel against thy commandment, and will not hearken unto thy words and all that thou commandest him, he shall be put to death. Only be strong and of a good courage. Let's pray together. Father, we love you. Thank you, Lord, for loving us. Thank you for the truth of your word. Lord, I'm asking that you share with us through these truths in your word exactly what we need to see this evening. In Jesus' name, by your power and for your sake, we pray. Amen. Now, the first point that I want to make to you is we need to receive God's instruction and follow God's direction. Receive God's instruction, follow God's direction. Uh, one of my favorite verses in the New Testament is James 1.22. James 1.22 is great commentary for what we've read in Joshua chapter 1. Now, let me tell you why I say that. James 1.22 tells us this. It says, be, not, be ye not only hearers of the word, but be doers of the word. Amen? Don't just hear what God says. Don't just receive the instruction, but then follow God's direction. To receive instruction means you hear the word or you read the word, but to follow God's direction means that you apply that truth to your life and you actually do what God's word tells you to do. Now, why is that relevant for Joshua chapter 1 and the passage that we just read? Well, let's look what God's instruction was. In verse number 2 of Joshua 1, the Bible says, Moses, my servant, is dead. This is God speaking to Joshua. Now, therefore, rise and go over this Jordan, thou and all this people. Everybody say all this people. So God commands Joshua, Joshua, now you're the man. You're the leader. The torch has been passed to you. You're going to lead my people into the promised land. He says, you and all of this people Cross over this Jordan and enter into this Canaan land, the land of victory, the land that's flowing with milk and honey. Now, the the problem here is that all the people didn't go into the land. They've received the instruction, but didn't follow the direction. We found out in verse number 12 that uh, there was two and a half tribes that didn't enter in. They stayed on the east side of Jordan or the wilderness side of Jordan. It was the Reubenites. It was the Gadites, and it was half of a tribe of Manasseh. So the tribe of Reuben, the tribe of Gad, and half the tribe of Manasseh stayed on the east side of Jordan. But that ain't what God said. God said, I want all of you to cross over. Now Moses, as we've already saw, gave them the land on the east side of Jordan. You'll find that truth in the book of Numbers. We're not going to turn over there tonight, but you can write it down and go back and look at it later. Numbers 32, verses 1 through 5, Moses gave these tribes, these two and a half tribes, the land on the east side. See, they were cattle farmers, and they had a lot of cattle with them, and they saw that the land on the east side of Jordan was good for cattle farming, and so they said, you know what, just let us stay right here. And so Joshua said, we're going to let you do what Moses promised you. He promised you this land, so we're going to let you stay here. 
We're going to let you possess that. The only thing you've got to do, the only, only condition you have, is all of your men of war must follow in, go into the land with the rest of the tribes so that they help them fight. And then when they get the peace and possess their land in the land of Canaan, you, then they can come back and enjoy their land on this side. Now that all sounds well and good, except they didn't follow the direction that God gave. They received the instruction, but didn't follow the direction. And it cost them greatly. He said, Rachel, how do you know that it cost them greatly? Well, you can read through the book of Judges, and you're certainly going to see that it cost these two and a half tribes greatly. But let me give you a very familiar passage of Scripture um, that we find in the New Testament. Their initial disobedience was when they came before Moses and said, we want to stay on this side, even though God told us to go to the other side. That was their initial disobedience. But initial disobedience leads to continual disobedience. Not only for those people in the book of Joshua, but also for us. Partial obedience to what God has said is complete disobedience for the child of God. So now let's look at, at a passage of scripture in Mark chapter 4 and see how initial obedience led to continual, or excuse me, initial disobedience led to continual disobedience. Look what it says, Mark chapter 4, or excuse me, Mark chapter 5, one of my favorite stories about what the Lord Jesus did for a man there starting in verse 1. Mark chapter 5, verse 1. And they came over unto the other side of the sea to the country of the Gadarenes. Let me tell you what the country of the Gadarenes is. The country of the Gadarenes is the land that the tribe of Gad had dwelled in all the way back in Joshua chapter 1. That's the east side of Jordan. That's the nation of the Gadarenes. That's where Jesus is now. Now there's a lot we could say about this passage of Scripture. A lot I'd like to say. But I'm not preaching on Mark for them, just using it for reference. And we may come back and probably will come back at a later date and we'll look at more of this. I'd like to tell you about the maniac that became a missionary in Mark chapter 4 because, boy, this is powerful stuff and you'll see it as we read it. But there's two things that I really want to pull out of these verses that I hope will give you instruction and also direction. Look what it says. And when he was come uh, out of the ship, immediately there met him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit who had his dwelling among the tombs. And no man could bind him, no, not with chains, because that he had been often bound with fetters and with chains. The chains had been plucked asunder by him and the fetters broken in pieces. Neither could any man tame him. And always, night and day, he was in the mountains and in the tombs crying and cutting himself with the stones. And when he saw Jesus afar off, he ran and worshipped him. Here is a demon-possessed man that comes and falls down at the feet of Jesus. Now, I just got to say, that's my Jesus. See, my Jesus is not some sissified Jesus that we sometimes try to portray him as. My Jesus is the Jesus who walks on the scene and the demons begin to tremble. That's the Jesus of the Bible. That's what God says about him. And, and it says this man, being demon blessed, came and worshipped him, falling down on his feet, verse 7, and cried with a loud voice and said, What have I to do with thee, Jesus? Thou son of the Most High God, I adjure thee by God that thou torment me not. 
For he said unto him, Come out of the man, thou unclean spirit. And he asked him, What is thy name? And he answered, saying, My name is Legion. This is the demonic spirit or spirits talking through this man. He says, My name is Legion. Watch what he says. For we are many. Verse 10. And he besought him much that he would not send them away out of the country. Nor Now there was a, there a high mountain and a great herd of swine feeding. And all the devils besought him, saying, Send us into the swine that we may enter into them. And forthwith Jesus gave them leave. Jesus gave them leave. Jesus told them what they could do and what they couldn't do. Let me tell you why. Because he has supreme power over satanic and demonic forces. Amen? Jesus gave them leave, and the Bible says, and the unclean spirits went out and entered into the swine, and the herd ran violently down a steep place into the sea. There were about 2,000, and they were choked in the sea. And they that fed the swine fled and told it in the city and in the country. And they went out to see what it was done. And they came to Jesus and see him that was possessed with the devil and had the legion sitting and clothed and in his right mind and they were afraid. And they that saw it told them how it befell to him and was possessed with the devil and also concerning the swine. Also concerning the swine. Don't miss that. And verse 17 says, And they began to pray him to depart out of their coast. Now, let's see how hearing instruction but not following direction affected these people. First of all, we see two things that are happening. The first thing that I want you to see is that these Jews are in the swine business. They're in the pig business. Now, if you know anything about the Jewish religion and the old uh, covenant under the law that they were under at this time, you know that swine to the Jew was considered unclean. No Jew who was self-respecting or God-respecting would have ever been in the swine business. They couldn't touch a swine. They couldn't uh, own a pig. They certainly couldn't eat a pig. They, I mean, nothing. It was considered an unclean animal under the law of the old covenant, the covenant they were under. See, their initial disobedience of not following God's instruction or, or, or not following God's direction after hearing God's instruction had led to continual disobedience in getting into the business of having pigs that were considered unclean under the law. Let me tell you, so what else was there? There was a demonic force in this place. Not just one demon spirit, but thousands of demon spirits. What does this teach us? Initial disobedience leads to continual disobedience and lets Satan get a foothold in your life. If it's true for those people, I'm telling you it's true for us. So point number one on this scenic overlook, let me tell you something. Hear God's instruction. Follow God's direction. Don't just be a hearer of the word, but be a doer. Number two comes from Joshua chapter number four.
Joshua chapter 4, let's start in verse number 1. And it came to pass, when all the people were clean passed over Jordan, and the Lord spake unto Joshua, saying, Take you twelve men out of the people, out of every tribe. Somebody say every tribe. <laughs> out of every tribe a man. And command ye them, saying, Take ye hence out of the midst of Jordan, out of the place where the priest's feet stood firm, twelve stones, and you shall carry them over with you, and leave them in the lodging place where you shall lodge this night. And Joshua called the twelve men whom he had prepared of the children of Israel out of every tribe a man. And Joshua said unto them, Pass over before the ark of the Lord your God into the midst of Jordan, and take you up every man of you a stone upon his shoulder, according to the number of tribes of the children of Israel. So twelve tribes, twelve stones, are to be taken out of the riverbed where God dried up the riverbed and stacked the water up on a heap. Now, for what purpose? Look at verse 6. That this may be a sign among you. And when your children ask their fathers in time to come, saying, What mean ye by these stones? Then ye shall answer them, that the waters of Jordan were cut off before the ark of the covenant of the Lord when it passed over Jordan. The waters of Jordan were cut off, and these stones shall be for a memorial unto the children of Israel forever. Now, let me say something to you. It's good for us to remember what God has done in our past. Now, don't misunderstand what I'm saying. I don't want you to live in your past. And God don't want you to live in your past. But it's good to glance at your past. Now, I tell you this because if I spend too much time in my past, I get hung up there. And I start thinking about all the wasted opportunity I had to serve the Lord. I start thinking about all the past failures that I was involved with. I start thinking about all the stuff that I completely blew it in. <laughs> and I've come to find out if I spend too much time in my past, it hinders my present and ruins my future. There's a reason that there is a rear view mirror in your car. But the rear view mirror is a whole lot smaller than the windshield. Nobody's going to leave here tonight and drive home by the rear view mirror. Let me tell you why. It's not good. It's not safe for you and your family or nobody else on the roadway. You're going to drive home looking through the windshield. Because what's in front of you is more important than what's behind you. But it is good while you're driving to take a glance up and look through the rear view. Amen? The same is true in the spiritual. We need to glance back and remember where God brought us from because it keeps us humble. It causes us to honor the Lord and say, thank you, Jesus, for doing for me what only you could. See, I remember where I was when Jesus had, found me. Having no peace, Listen, not knowing my purpose, wandering lost and undone in a world full of darkness, but when Jesus, the light of the world, put his light in me, everything started to change. He gave me peace that passeth all understanding, joy unspeakable and full of glory, and he gave me purpose, purpose for my life that's made the difference. 
So I'm glad I can look back and see where God brought me from, but I'm not going to live there. And that's what Joshua is instructing these people to do. Remember what God did for you. Amen? That's what these stones are all about. But one thing that blesses my soul in this, he didn't say just one tribe get, a, get the 12 stones or three or four tribes gather up 12 stones. He said every tribe was to be represented. Point number two in this scenic overlook when we're looking through these scriptures, listen, everybody is somebody in the family of God. I don't care who you are. I don't care what God's called you to do. Everybody is somebody in the family of God. The, the 12 tribes of Israel are named after the 12 sons of Jacob who became Israel. Now, you've know, you know some of them probably. Jesus is called the Lion of the tribe of Judah. So you've probably heard of the tribe of Judah. The Apostle Paul himself in Philippians chapter 1, we read his testimony a few weeks back, and he said that he was of the tribe of Benjamin. Probably heard of the tribe of Benjamin. You probably heard of the tribe of Levi because Levi was the priestly tribe. They were the spiritual leaders among the Jewish people. You probably heard of him. You ever heard of Zebulon? Some of you probably may have, but I wouldn't venture out and say that everybody's heard of Zebulon. Everybody probably heard of Levi, but I don't know that everybody's heard of Zebulon. You ever heard of Issachar? What about Naphtali? You ever heard of, him? You ever heard of that tribe? They are lesser known tribes because there's not a lot written about them in the Word of God. We don't know a lot of what they did or didn't do. But when it came time for the people of God to be represented... God took those that were well-known and God took those that were less-known and everybody got a rock and was a part of building the altar. Why? Because everybody in God's family is important. What does that mean to you, child of God? You're important. You are somebody in God's family. Everybody's somebody. Let me prove it to you. I just want to read to you real quickly. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. A few verses there. Look what it says. First Corinthians chapter 12, verse 12. For as the body is one and hath many members, and all members of that one body being many are one body, so also is Christ. We're many members that make up one body. What he's saying. Verse 13. For by one spirit we are all baptized into one body. See, the same spirit that did a supernatural work in my life is the same spirit that does supernatural work in your life. God has not done any more for me than he's done for you. Isn't that great? God is no respecter of persons. I got saved just like you got saved if you've been saved. That's what he said to us. Watch this now, verse 14. For the body is not one member, but many. If the foot shall say, because I'm not the hand, I'm not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? If the ear shall say, because I'm not of the eye, am I, am I not, I'm not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? If the whole body were an eye, where were the hearing? If the whole were the hearing, where were the smelling? But God has set the members, every one of them in the body, watch this now, as it has pleased him. 
He's made some ears. He's made some eyes. He's made some hands, some feet, some feet. Many members with different purpose making up one body to fulfill what the head wants. Jesus being the head. And some will say, well, you know what, because I'm not one of the more popular parts, one of the more showy parts, I'm not as important. Well, Paul deals with that. Watch. Watch what he says. And if they were all one member, verse 19, where were the body? But now there are many members, yet but one body. And the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of thee, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. Nay, much more of those members of the body, which seem to be more feeble, are necessary. Let me tell you something you won't even think about. Your big toe. Do you? Do you stub it? Yeah, that does definitely get you thinking about it. But let me tell you what would happen if you didn't have your big toe. If you didn't have your big toe, you'd have to learn to walk again. Let me tell you why. Because your big toe has everything to do with your balance. Now you ain't even thinking about your big toe when you're walking or you're running or you're getting to where you need to go. But if your big toe wasn't there, you wasn't there, you'd know it, wouldn't you? Why? Because it's necessary. You may not think it's necessary, but it's necessary. What I'm trying to say is, you may feel like you're not as important as someone else. You say, brother, I don't preach, I don't teach, I don't sing. I don't do any of that stuff. Well, that's okay. God's made you to be you and put you in the body as it hath pleased him. And the best you you can be is you full of Jesus and God's got purpose for you amen now that don't mean you sit on a stool and do nothing and do nothing that means you find your purpose and get busy and your purpose is just as important as anyone else's you say brother I'm a big toe we all need our big toe right and pinky fingers I like that too Everybody's somebody in the family of God. Number three, turn with me to Joshua chapter five. Point number three in this scenic overlook on the highway to victory. Consecration and sanctification leads to victory. Comes before victory. Well, if that's true, let's define our terms. What is consecration? And what is sanctification? Let me give you the definition of consecration. It's dedicated to a divine purpose. Sanctification is to be set apart for God's purposes. Now, in Joshua chapter number 5, we find the story of what happens right before Joshua and the children of Israel go and overtake Jericho by the power of God. Look what it says in verse number 2. At the time the Lord said unto Joshua, Make these sharp knives and circumcise again the children of Israel the second time. And Joshua made him sharp knives and circumcised the children of Israel at the hill of the foreskin. And this is the cause why Joshua did circumcise. All the people that came out of Egypt that were males, even all the men of war, died in the wilderness, by the way, after they came out of Egypt. Now all the people that came out, out were circumcised, but all the people that were born in the wilderness by the way as they came forth out of Egypt, them had not been circumcised. For the children of Israel walked 40 years in the wilderness till all the people that were men of war which came out of Egypt were consumed. 
because they obeyed not the voice of the Lord unto whom the Lord swore that he would not show them the land, which the Lord swore unto their fathers that he would give us, a land that floweth with milk and honey. And their children whom he raised up in their stead, them Joshua circumcised. For they were uncircumcised because they had not circumcised them by the way. And it came to pass when they had done circumcising all the people that they abode in their places in the camp till all were whole. And the Lord said unto Joshua, This day have I rolled away the reproach of Egypt from off you. Wherefore, the name of this place is called Gilgal unto this day. And the children of Israel encamped in Gilgal and slept uh, and kept the Passover on the 14th day of the month at the even in the plains of Jericho. And, and, and as they did eat, they ate the old corn of the land on the morrow after the Passover, unleavened cakes, parched corn, and the selfsame day. Now pay close attention to verse 12. Watch what it says. And the manna ceased on the morrow. <laughs> After they had eaten the old corn of the land, neither had the children of Israel manna any more, but they did eat of the fruit of the land of Canaan that year. What's all this mean? I told you Wednesday night, we spent a lot of time on it, so I'm not going to spend a lot tonight, but circumcision was a badge, a physical badge of the Jewish nation that showed they were consecrated and sanctified before the Lord. They were dedicated to a divine purpose. They had been consecrated. They were sanctified, set apart for God's purposes. And God says, you know what? Before you go in and take Jericho and before I give you this victory, you've got to be consecrated. You've got to be sanctified. Consecration and sanctification comes before victory that was true for them and it's also true for us let me ask you something are you dedicated to God's divine purpose in your life are you I I'm glad you're here on Sunday I know I'm preaching to the Sunday night crowd I want to thank you for your faithfulness but are you as dedicated on Monday at your home as you are at the church on Sunday? Are you as dedicated to God's divine purpose at your workplace or as you are in your Sunday school class? I had to ask myself, am I as dedicated to preaching the gospel on the street as I am in the pulpit? Am I as dedicated by living in a way that brings honor and glory to Christ day after day as I am on the day of worship. Because that's what true consecration is. Dedication to divine purpose. Am I sanctified? I had to ask myself this question. To be sanctified means that I am separate from the world. I want people to see a difference in me. Amen? And I, I struggle with it just like everybody else. I need God's grace daily. But I want people to look at my life and say there's something different about him. Uh, Brother Ben shared this morning on the fruit of the Spirit from John chapter 15. Done a great job with it, and I enjoyed that. Let me give you my definition for the fruit of the Spirit. It's the life of the vine being pressed out through the branch. That's fruit. Jesus is the vine. We, as his people, are the branch. 
And as his life is pressed out through me, I will make an impact for the kingdom of God. And I'm convinced people will want what I have. But it takes consecration and sanctification for that to happen. Amen? So what have we learned on these scenic overlooks on the highway to victory? Well, we've learned that you're to hear instruction and follow God's direction. We've learned what was number two. Everybody is somebody in God's family. And we've learned that consecration and sanctification comes before our victory. It's true for them. It's true for us. I want to pray for you before we close tonight. Has anybody got any special needs?